Previously on Age of Legends, Downfall. Liriel, also known as El, was raised to full Ace Sedai. Her ceremony was quiet with little fanfare. She then went on to attend the Great Hall and witnessed a man named Redding Du Turan, Red for short, request aid for House Dagon, the house he serves. Red's request was initially denied but overturned quickly when Elena, El's biological sister and full Ace Sedai of great renown, brings Red and El together to send them on a mission to steal a recently uncovered artifact in exchange for Red's request being granted. With little choice, the two accept their mission and prepare to depart when El's mentor, known only as Mistress, approaches her and warns of hidden danger awaiting the two and advises caution and secrecy in their approach. Right. For, I was realizing earlier today, like, what are we going to call this fucking thing? We'll call it Two Friends. <laughs> <laughs> that quick wit. Yep. That's what's going to get us those downloads. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> All right, cool. Let's call it Dragon Ball Z. People mm. seem to like that. Well, let's, call it, let's call it Goku's. Uh, Goku opens a restaurant. Okay. Goku gets a license. <laughs> All righty. So last time, uh, you were left on the cliffhanger of the basic task that you were assigned that seemed almost beneath you uh, is definitely taken up a level when a mistress comes to visit you and lets you know how incredibly serious this matter is. Uh, you have received a Terangriel, which you know uh, helps you cast a spell Charm Person slash Compulsion, depending on D&D and Wheel of Time Speak, whichever you prefer. Uh, and you are going to go meet Red and depart to the city of Devat Duwadi, uh, which is just outside the main city of Majin. So I will let you take it from here. Yeah, Red exits the Hall of Servants. And as soon as those doors open, he steps out. Are you out. calling it servants or serpents? I was, say <laughs> I was saying sir. Pence. <laughs> no, I was saying servants. Yeah. Okay. Servants. It's what the people call it who don't like the uh, Ace Sedai. Mm. Oh. I actually really like that. That's smart. You can cool. say that later, like the stupid hall of serpents. Red, if anything, is a catty bitch. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, uh, so Red exits the hall of servants and, you know, uh, opens the doors out into the city into the daylight and exhales deeply. He uh, does the Ben Affleck uh, smoking a cigarette <laughs> outside of his house in quarantine. Yeah, he is not a fan of being inside there and dealing with the Ace Sedai at all. Uh, male or female or any of them does not care, does not like it. I'm sure there's a stable yard that's nearby that he had his horse uh, uh, housed at, and he's going to go uh, over there to get it along with uh, procuring a horse for L so that they can be on their way. All right. Around that same time that you're making your way... Uh, out of the stable with both of the horses. Uh, when you requested your horse and a horse for the uh, Ace Sedai you'll be traveling with, uh, the servant that uh, was fetching them for you, the stable boy, uh, brings you what appears to be a already saddled horse, um, and you can kind of assume that this is actually El's official horse. It's not just a horse that they just sort of grabbed from the stable. Um, and as you are leaving the stable, uh, you see El approaching you. You about ready to go? Yeah, I'm ready. Uh, 
So, uh, listen, I think we can, you know, travel to uh, the city of Devatdwari first before we, you know, enter the, the actual city that we're supposed to be going to. Okay. Full stop. <laughs> <laughs> to be as forthcoming as possible, uh, speaking to the table here, Red doesn't really care. He doesn't want to be there. He's just going to kind of get the job done. If you don't want us to go the normal routes, um, you know, just say the word and we will go ahead and and make our way uh, over there. That being said, he just sets up in the saddle and says, let's get going. All right. Um, let's get going, I guess. Uh, listen, let's get away a little bit from the Hall of Servants, but I have a couple things that I need to tell you. Sure. Uh, he kicks his horse in the side a little bit, just spurs it on so that it can uh, trot up the road. Adam, is there like a nearby um, place where I can send like a like a pigeon over to uh, as a message? So there are these uh, birds within uh, this particular age of legends that uh, sort of look like ghosts uh, with long legs, almost like owls, like a snow owl. Uh, but what is very uh, prevalent uh, are their kneecaps. They have these really long, jagged curves coming off of them, and they're the fastest birds to deliver a message if you uh, choose to go that way. And because they look like ghosts, they are referred to as Poes, uh, and based off of their anatomy, uh, their full name is the Pony Express. So My you can go ahead and send one. It's a long walk <laughs> to get there, but yeah. we got there. Yep. Oh, yep. gosh. I'm effectively going to put together a little bit of a message that goes back to the house I am employed by, again, House Dagon that says request denied regarding scroll being redirected with newly raised Aes Sedai to fulfill a Hall of Servants request. We'll contact later. And then wrap it up, drop whatever money that this requires, and send it on its way. Right on. As soon as you get done writing it and uh, you sort of roll it up, uh, they seal it so that uh, no one there can read it. They attach it to one of these ponies. Uh, and they slap it on the ass, and it uh, flies off into the air. It just seems to know where to go. Uh, it's just that magic thing that you get when you're in the Age of Legends. So. All right. I'm going to look back to L. Uh, now, what were you saying about traveling? Uh, th- there are traveling grounds right over here. And you kind of see her. She's, like, a little exasperated because you just kind of, like, rode off. And she hadn't even, like, fastened <laughs> her pack to the horse <laughs> or, like, gotten on the horse. And she's, like, muttering to herself, like, I thought, like, being an I meant that people were going to respect me, but clearly not. Uh, gets on her horse and is, like, this way. You're following your lead. So the travel grounds are essentially an open area where you can open up a portal to wherever you need to go. The Aes basically, it's like you're standing in line to use it. Uh, and uh, what's most important is to know where you're going and most importantly to know where you're at. It's very weird as it's described within the fiction. So as you step up, uh, you just sort of open a portal to the place you need to go uh, and it slices through the air and it creates this spot that you can step through. Uh, It is very dangerous. The side of a portal can cut a person in half. Uh, So it's something where you have to have a section where you can essentially travel out of that no one might be opening a portal to. Uh, and no one might be opening a portal from. So there are multiple places at the major metropolitan areas that are traveling grounds. It's like essentially an airport uh, where you just sort of walk up, stand in line, and wait for your turn. Uh, It definitely isn't as painful as an actual airport in real life. So that's kind of like the protocol behind it, though. So as uh, you make your way towards the traveling grounds, I would like both of you to roll a perception check. 12. I rolled an 18 plus 4, 22. 
So as you uh, start riding your horses to it, you see it's a relatively short line, um, and you're feeling a little bit uncomfortable, L, as you approach. Uh, you're not sure if it's based off of what you just got from uh, Mistress or just the way that your sister's been acting or the fact that today's just not working out like you wanted it to, uh, but it just seems to be something's off. And Red, um, you know exactly where you're going. You've gone to the traveling grounds before. Something about this particular approach, though, and L's demeanor since she returned to you makes you realize that this is probably not the place to be. Uh, as you approach, you realize every time a portal opens, people can see exactly where you're going, anyone nearby you. And you sort of just look around uh, from your horseback and you realize very distinctly from your time spent on this world that someone is absolutely watching you. You are pretty good at knowing that. And you're more importantly, pretty good at finding people when they're watching you. And you do not see where you're being observed from, but you know you're being watched. Hey, Al. Um, yes? I mean this delicately. Do you know what a tail is? You mean like the thing on the back of my horse? Nope. Have you ever been followed? Uh, well, we have a lot of servants in the hall of servants. Okay, we are being <laughs> followed right now. Um, I don't know why already this is going to be something that we have to worry about, but I'm thinking maybe we don't telegraph. Uh, that wouldn't be a... Well, who gives a shit? It's modern language for us. Uh, we, we might not want to uh, project where we're going. That's probably a good idea. Why don't we ride for a little bit then and get away from the city? And I can weave a portal and we can go from there. Yeah, let's just get out of here. Out of the city. I agree. As you uh, turn your horses and start making your way away from the city, L, it occurs to you that your time spent within Perendison has been pretty decent. Like you've gotten to know a lot of the places outside of the main metropolitan area, sort of like the outskirts or even the suburbs, if you want to think of them that way. Uh, there's plenty of places that you can go that you can be familiar with the grounds that you're traveling from, uh, that you would feel comfortable. And uh, you just sort of start heading in the direction of one of those to sort of get that feeling of an ease away from you. Red, as you continue to ride, you start to feel more at ease, more as if uh, you're starting to lose your tail through the throng of people because uh, the way you're heading is definitely not what you or L or likely whoever was watching you was expecting. I'm feeling good about the tail being lost, but I'm going to kind of still keep an eye out. And uh, is there anything that I can do to... Uh, is there anything I can do to, to get myself another perception check? Or is that not an option? Uh, I would say if you would like to do another perception of the events transpiring, you can go ahead and take the previous roll. Your senses, essentially, are already so heightened, you're paying attention to absolutely everything. Mm -hmm. uh, so what are you looking to, to perceive? Uh, the, since the throng of people are, are thinning out, I want to see if there's anybody who is on a more direct and linear path that is with ours behind us, you know, not crossing the street or going opposite direction or uh, going into like different shops or anything like that. Is there a, a certain amount of people that are coming with the same flow of foot and horse traffic that we are? As you were leaving, it was pretty difficult for you to interpret whether or not there was someone that seemed to be sort of mirroring your movements uh, as there's many people that are trying to weave their way through the traffic. Now that uh, the foot traffic and the horse traffic is starting to thin, essentially, uh, you can look back and see that uh, anyone that has been essentially traveling in the same direction as you, that has been trying to keep pace with you, is slowly turning off into buildings. Uh, and the faces that are now beginning to show up behind you are not faces that were there when you originally left. 
So there are still people that are sort of pacing you, but they're brand new people as opposed to someone who's been following you since you left the Hall of Servants. Sure. So ultimately, I'm not able to distinguish. Correct. But you do feel like you have essentially lost the tail. Ah, okay. Good. So yeah, L, I feel like we're uh, we're a little bit more in the clear right now. Um, you still want to get out of town? I don't want to be here any longer than we have to. I think we need to get out of town in order for me to leave that portal. But did you get a sense of who was following us? I, I don't know why anyone would follow us. Mm, I did not. So where you're at at this point, uh, as you're traveling and you're sort of discussing it, the city's starting to thin out into the local farmland. Uh, and there's definitely a lot of space between each uh, structure. Uh, and the structures that do exist do have alleys. There's plenty of places for you to essentially uh, find a private spot to travel. Before we get any further, I think you need to know something. Okay. So my sister, A, made it seem like this was an easy quest where we would just be getting a relic, a window, decoration, whatever you may have it, but that's not actually the case. So the reason we should go to Devat Dwadi instead of going straight to Majin is that this relic is actually something that is ancient and powerful and could be potentially dangerous, it sounds like, in Majin. All of you Aes Sedai, I swear, it can never be straightforward with you. There's always something that's too powerful. There's always something that's so dangerous. There's always something that's so underhanded. You guys are just never straightforward ever. Hey, listen, this I, is my first quest too, okay? So like, chill out a little bit. Well, it's not mine. It's the same thing with all of you Aes Sedai. You just think that you're on top of it and you're not. And you know what? Let's just let's just go and get this done. I'm glad that you're very um, gung-ho about wanting to be here. And I don't care. I don't care about what this means to you or this means to your sister or for the Hall of Servants. Let's just get this portal going and we'll talk about it. I'm also on edge. I want to get out of the city and we can just deal with this later on. I should probably also tell you that there is a very dangerous... Aes Sedai that probably has this relic on him when we actually get to Majin, and we're going to have to deal with that eventually. Just putting that out there. All right. Thank you. I will take that under advisement. And Red softens up a little bit. He takes another deep breath and realizes that he's yelling at a kid. <laughs> realizes that he's yelling at a, uh, a young lady, and he doesn't need to be acting this way, but okay. He's being a dick, basically. Thank you. For <laughs> he knows it. <laughs> Thank you for your concern. I will keep that in mind. No matter what you say, I'm not gonna not do this. So let's just get going. That's great to hear, because I can't not do this either. Okay, looks like we're bonded. Like, two friends, name of the campaign. <laughs> oh, we nailed it. <laughs> no. We found it. Yep. End uh, of campaign. <laughs> sure, sure, and that's- <laughs> And that's everything I have, and that's so a season great job, job, everyone. Good one. Yeah, we're, we're both stuck in doing this. Let's just go ahead and get it done. We'll get this done, we'll get back to the Ace to Die, and then we never have to see each other again. Deal. So, Red, as soon as you say that that is good with you, you get uh, goosebumps on your arms, which is the telltale sign of a, a female channeler uh, embracing the uh, source next to you. And L, you begin to weave a very familiar yet powerful spell of a traveling portal. 
Uh, and as I described earlier, <laughs> she's waving her hands in circles like she's wax on, wax offing. Uh, and as you weave this, it's just as important to know where you are as well as where you're going. And you have traveled by horseback from Perindison to Majin multiple times. So you have a general idea of where Duvat Duwadi is. And the slow ring starts to appear in front of you with a silver shimmer until eventually you can just see the town in front of you. And as you uh, heal your horse through the portal, it's very used to it and it just steps right through. As for Red's Mount, it doesn't travel this way very frequently, but it takes a little bit of a leap through and is on the other side. Uh, and you let go of the female source of the power uh, and it winks out of existence. And as you are sitting in your saddle, you realize this further out, it's starting to get dark. It's not dark yet. There's still a few hours of daylight left. Uh, and you look forward and you do see that the local tavern has uh, their lights on already. And there are the sounds of celebration and just sort of uh, raucous, flamboyant joy pouring out of it. It is essentially the day you thought you were going to have is being had right now within that tavern by, it sounds like, countless voices of locals. You sort of realize in that moment that if you are going to avoid being noticed, it is probably best you not stay at essentially the only inn in this town. Yeah, I, I think she kind of has this like, oh, there's an inn, can we? And then like realizes and then is like, Ugh. her stomach kind of growls because she hasn't eaten anything all day. And she's like, we can't go to the inn, but I'm sure there's probably a nice barn that we could sleep in. In transit, I'm going to take another deep breath and start speaking to Elle. Um, hey, listen, I don't mean to be short with you. This day is not turning out the way that I anticipated it to. Uh, you know, I was sent to the Hall of Servants for one reason, and I'm stuck here doing something else. I don't mean to be taking it on you. I'm just not a fan of that place, and I seem to be going back there more often than I would care to. So... Listen, if you have other things that you want to discuss with it, I'm all ears. I appreciate you keeping my interests in mind, but, uh, you know, apologies if I was being gruff. Regardless, let's still just get going through this. No problem. I feel like we're in the same boat. This day definitely did not go the way that I wanted it to go. Mm -hmm. I was supposed to become full Aes Sedai. We were supposed to celebrate. My friends were supposed to be here with me. No offense to you, okay? But here I am with you in a random town apparently going after a really dangerous artifact and maybe we might die, but, you know, it's fine. I have no intention of dying anytime soon. <laughs> I don't think anyone has any intention of dying anytime soon, though. Well, what possibly could we have... Like, we didn't sign up for this. I'm not even employed by the Hall of Servants. They're not going to send us on a death mission. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I think we can do this, absolutely, but that one Aes Sedai that I spoke about... He's, it sounds like from my sources that he is not a very nice person. And if we cross him, we might come to a very unpleasant end. You're talking about this person who's over at the Majin town. Yes, Majin. You would actually know of this person. So as you're having this conversation where you're just sort of connecting of the fact that your days have both not gone the way you want, uh, you come upon the first farm that's just outside of the town. It's far enough where you're out of earshot of the celebratory noises coming from the inn. Uh, and it's a rather large home. On the porch of this home is a lot of herbs. And the both of you actually recognize this as uh, the home of what would be essentially a good wife or 
what would even be referred to as a wisdom. Uh, the herbs are in various stages of drying out. Uh, and you see an older lady, probably 10 or 15 years, the senior of red, uh, come out and start gathering up the dryer. And she just sort of waves at you. Uh, and you look around and you realize that this farm is in various states. So there's certain parts of it that look like they're very well kept up. And there's other parts that look like there hasn't been a lot of work done to them. Uh, and you can just sort of put together that there's just not enough hands to essentially handle all of the daily chores. I raise one hand as if to wave to her, but as I'm waving, I like hit red in the elbow and out of the corner of my mouth, I say, how ace to do I look? <laughs> I also raise my hand and with my other one, I pat her on top of the head and say, <laughs> good evening, madam. Perchance my daughter and I could approach and speak with you? Yes, this is my father. Sure. No need for all the pomp and circumstance. Come this way. She's just but a child, and I, like, grind my hand into the top of her head. That doesn't look very comfortable. <laughs> so as you approach, she comes down uh, off of the porch, and she just sort of has a basket that she has a bunch of different herbs separated in, and, and she says, So what are you passing by for? Typically, people are headed the opposite direction. Yeah, we uh, are going to a different area. Not sure what it is, but we... Uh, my daughter and I aren't too fond of seeing, you know, groups of people, large groups of people specifically. So we wanted to kind of see if there was any way we could stay the night um, a little bit off the beaten path, so to speak. Um, I see you have plenty of sprawling land here. We would happily take shelter in your uh, in your covered barn if that was okay with you. Well, I'm not a fan of crowds myself, I, I will say, so I do understand that. Uh, go ahead and roll a deception in regards to the daughter thing. I'm going to have both of you do that, actually. Oh, uh, man. And what, what was your name, um, madam? Uh, my name is Hannah. Hannah Linen. Hannah Linen. Okay. Uh, it's very lovely to meet you. Uh, my name is... Um, and she thinks, and she goes, <laughs> Elena... <laughs> Mr. Burns. Rollett. <laughs> Elena what? Rollett. It's my name, last name backwards. <laughs> Can she roll two deceptions nice. now? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna roll my deception. Hold on. You can't fail deception checks, right? No, you can't <laughs> technically botch a skill check. Okay, well it's a one plus six, so it's a seven. Okay, let me see what, uh, what old Hannah rolls here. Uh, I rolled a sec. flat sixteen, if that helps at all. That will help, actually. He just continues. This is my dad. They call him Old Man Rollett. <laughs> she looks you both over. <laughs> she looks you both over after that. And she says, you do seem like good people. So I won't need your real names. And I sincerely don't care if that's your daughter or not. You can't crit on an insight check. But she totally rolled a 21. <laughs> nice. I trust my perception of people pretty well, and you both seem like you're on the up and up, even if you don't want to tell me your names, and that's just fine. But I would never turn down extra hands, because I do certainly have some chores that could be done before sundown. So if you are willing, uh, I do still have some uh, evening chores. So just sort of gathering up some supplies that need to be brought into the barn. Uh, and I do need some wood chopped, and I think your uh, dad, wink, wink, over there could take care of that. And I'll go ahead and uh, fetch a couple blankets and pillows for you all to stay in the barn. Yeah, we'd be happy to help out. Thank you so much, Hannah. No problem. And uh, no need to tell me when you depart. Uh, just go ahead and leave the blankets on the porch. And then she goes inside and starts making herself busy. 
and uh, you notice that there's just sort of stuff like scattered all around the lawn near the barn and near the house and sort of in the back where the fields are as well. Uh, there's a bucket that's been left out next to a cow that has clearly been milked that day, uh, but the bucket could definitely use a rinsing. And there is a stack of wood that doesn't seem to have been chopped in a long time. And there is a pile of chopped wood that is dwindling dangerously low to the point where you almost feel uncomfortable with the fact that it has dwindled so low that you're not sure if she would have even had heat for the next couple nights had you not showed up. What time of year is it? Actually, it's starting to get towards winter, so you could say that winter is coming. Oh, God. Turn it off. (laughs) Season wrap. Uh, Red's going to stroll over to the wood pile. I'm assuming there's an axe that's over there, too. That's probably not super sharp. Exposed to a lot of the elements. Just this hunk of metal that I'm going to clobber through a bunch of old logs with. It's leaning up against uh, the wood pile. It's not in terrible condition. Mm-hmm. It's certainly not the best condition that you've seen. Um, but you're you're sure that someone does come and do this for her with the condition of the axe. That said, there's other stuff, uh, L, that you can sort of just start to gather up and just sort of clean while he takes some wax at some of that wood. Uh, as the day sort of comes to an end and the sun starts to set, uh, you do see Hannah coming to the barn. And as you're sort of cleaning stuff up, Elle, you notice that she's kind of making a bed out of several haystacks. So it's actually going to look not as bad as you thought. You're thinking this isn't going to be a terrible end of the day. Uh, and as the sun starts to dwindle, she lets you know, if you all want to come inside, I have some extra food. You've worked hard and I do appreciate it. So feel free, but it'll be ready in about five minutes. And she heads back in right around the same time you're both wrapping up your chores. L, you start to stack some of this wood uh, because it seems to be the last task that you could basically help with. And as the last log for the night gets chopped, uh, you both hear a noise based off of your passive perception. And you look up and in the distance, you can see a fence that seems to divide the property from the next farm over. And there seems to be a very tall gentleman carrying something in the distance and he seems to be grunting or groaning as he does so. Attached to his back is an incredibly large axe. Not for chopping wood. Uh, You're not exactly sure what anyone have the purpose of an axe like that for. Oh, the help's here. (laughs) (laughs) But as they move, you realize they're not moving towards the road or towards the town. They're walking towards the tree line into the dense thicket of forest. And just basic knowledge of maps and the topography of the land Uh, The forest has a very substantial river not so far off from the road, and it seems as if he's moving towards it. Uh, And as you both sort of look up and realize what's happening, you hear a sound that's not coming from him. It's coming from what's slung over his back, uh, which is essentially a long sack that seems to be writhing and protesting of the fact that it is being carried off into the woods. Holy shit. Uh, It seems to me that that person over there might be kidnapping somebody so yeah l let's uh go (laughs) yeah i think we need to figure out what's going on that does not that seems very suspicious to me yep 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 all right i'm gonna throw down the uh axe at the wood pile there and and run kind of near the house so that i can uh holler to good wife wisdom and uh tell her that we're headed off into the forest here to help whatever we just heard she says, what? Yep. Can't talk. Right Gotta back. go. Yep. And Elf off also you go starts and to run. You sort of hear like shuffling in the house. Like she's confused. Like she's looking out the windows to see what's happening. But she definitely doesn't follow you all.
So as you pursue this gentleman, uh, you make up about half the distance by the time he enters the tree line. He seems to be walking in a fairly straight line aside from the occasional uh, shuffle that he does when he's trying to keep this bundle on his shoulder, so to speak. Uh, as you enter the forest, uh, you can definitely see some tracks, uh, and both of you can roll a survival to see how well you can track this gentleman. You asked me to roll all the horrible things. I got a six. Can't crit on skill checks, but I rolled a 20 plus one. Okay, this is perfect. As you enter the forest, L, it just seems to be how this day is going. You see the first couple footsteps, and you kind of pride yourself on your ability to track folks. It's something that you've done in the past, and you lose the trail almost immediately. And the thought that comes into your head of being very disappointed sort of evaporates as you see Red following a trail that is just invisible to your eyes. And now you are hot on the heels of this gentleman making his way into the woods. Come on, kid, keep it up. At this point, let's roll some stealth checks. Oh, stealth is not my strong suit over here. I was also not planning on being stealthy. Like, I, I missed the opportunity to be to yell out to this thing. Like, hey, what are you doing? I know you can't crit on stealth rolls, but I just got a 20. Jeez, what is with us? <laughs> We're min-maxing this whole game. I know, guys right? Are. This is funny. <laughs> I rolled a four plus two, six garbage for stealth. Wait a second. So this is... Hold on, hold on. Oh, also, <laughs> I have, have disadvantage. I do have disadvantage. I'm like, where, where was my negative? I realized it was disadvantage, so let me roll it again. The second one was eight, so first one, uh, I have a six on stealth, so I'm making some noise. So, L, uh, as you see Red just sort of barreling ahead following this, uh, you sort of have a different perspective of him for the first time. The thought that you had go through your head when you saw this person walking off with a sack that essentially seems like it's a human being on his shoulder was of concern. You needed to run over there and help. As you entered the woods and you lost the trail, that frustration came, and then you saw Red take up the trail, and now you see Red sort of just moving ahead with reckless abandon, uh, like this has sort of just become his primary focus. Although you are very capable in your size and stature of moving very quiet, like a mouse through the forest, uh, you almost sort of respect the fact that Red is moving noisily uh, with reckless abandon to make sure he makes up this ground. Uh, so the two of you are just making your way, and you sort of start to catch a glimpse of this figure up ahead when it comes to a stop. What do you do? Red yells a challenge at it, and he says, Hey, what are you doing? He uh, drops the sack to the ground, and you hear a, a thud and a, the sound of air escaping lungs. Uh, and as you look down at the sack, you realize it just missed the edge of what looks to be a cliff that assuredly leads to the river. Uh, and he turns around, he unsheaths this axe, which is, at this point you can tell, a great axe that is larger than Elle herself, in both hands, and he is scanning the forest line uh, to see where this sound came from. And as he locks eyes with you, Red, he charges you. Oh my god. Oh. Uh, did not... <laughs> okay, uh, game on. Shall we roll initiative? So this is our first combat, and go <laughs> ahead and roll initiative. While we are rolling initiative, Red is going to pull up both of his long swords and he's just going to kind of, whoa, 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 whoa. This thing's running <laughs> at him. Okay, I think we should also describe for the listener who we haven't actually been talking about lately. <laughs> Hi, listener. <laughs> Hi, are you still there, listener? Jeez. Talk about min-maxing. Two plus two is four for my initiative. Uh, I got a 13. I will take this opportunity to describe Red's battle armaments. Um, he actually is a ballpark level five human fighter for the uh, D&D aspect of this, but he carries two long swords, which he dual wields. So as this uh, lumbering giant 
charges you, not literal giant, uh, you understand a few things about this person. Uh, one is that their face is just covered in scars. You're not sure if this is from battle uh, or if there was some horrific accident they went through, but uh, the sight of his face is something that you can tell would probably intimidate most folks. He's also about head and shoulders taller than Red. I'd put him around 6668. He's one of the larger individuals that you've run across, uh, and he is tall as he is wide. He's not exactly bodybuilder wide. He is essentially like farm ripped, Oof. if you know what I'm saying here. Uh, but he is coming at you with murderous intent in his eyes. So uh, whatever you have caught him doing, he definitely did not want to be caught. Uh, and he goes first. So this guy covers the distance uh, and he takes a swing at you with his great axe. It seems that this rage that is fueling him and driving him forward has also made him quite clumsy. Uh, and as he comes down with this great axe with just such ferocity, uh, it clips a tree. And for a moment, you think, good, it's going to get stuck in that tree. But he basically just shears straight through it, cutting halfway through this tree. Uh, he does miss you by a country mile, uh, but you are definitely astonished with his power. He seems almost barbarian like in 5e speak. Oh, man, that's weird that you used that phrasing. <laughs> All right. Next will be L. Not me. All right. I wanted to kind of give a little brief description in kind of five e-speaks. They're playing D&D. So L is actually a warlock, and uh, she has taken on the Hexblade curse kind of features and has a feat um, that is a warcaster. So basically she is able to cast even though she ha is going to be holding two things in both hands. Uh, so that feat allows her to do that. So she has her shield up. And you kind of um, see as her action, she just conjures up out of her hand a longsword that she's going to hold in her uh, dominant right hand, which is her action. And as a reminder, that's because this is not in Wheel of Time Third Age proper, which Wheel of Time show, the show is like taking place. This is an iteration of where Aja's don't exist. So as an Aes Sedai, it seems like El has chosen to be more of like a, like a warlock. So, like a Hexblade Warlock, so. You are trained not only in forms of combat with channeling, uh, but in all forms of combat, period. Which is super cool because I really like the parallel of generating a weapon out of pure power. Like, the power, which is something mm -hmm. that, you know, does happen in the books and looks fucking sweet. So. Spoilers! Yep. As my bonus action, I'm going to turn to this um, very large person and I'm going to Hexblades curse this person. So what that means in, in 5e speak is essentially I get to curse that person for a minute or until they die or if I die, and I will gain a plus three bonus to damage rolls. And I can when I score a critical hit, I can score it on both a 19 and a 20, and also I regain eight hit points if it dies. Cool. So as you draw your shield, L, uh, and you summon this sword of power in your hands, uh, then you feel these familiar threads of channeling sort of warp within you and start extending out, and you can actually see this tendril extend towards this monster of a man. Uh, and it sort of takes a hold of him and just sort of seeps into his being, and as it does, you can just sort of see him better. It's something that happens typically when you embrace the source, but this is on a whole different level. It's almost like you're playing a Zelda game and you're fighting the boss and all of his weak points are glowing red or orange to let you know exactly how to deal excess damage to this person. That is your turn. Red, you are up. So as this being was charging, draw my swords, see that it's happened, I'm kind of backpedaling and going fleet of foot, so to speak. I'm assuming that I helped out uh, dodging this whiff by just moving a little bit. 
as the axe blade comes down and shears that tree, which is incredibly scary. And I can take like a half a second to like look back at this thing to see what it is. I only see a scarred face. This is just a big country gentleman. It's just a big, lumbering, ugly countryside dude. Okay. It is human. It is absolutely human. <laughs> I was hoping that it was. Cool. Well, in that case, I'm going to take two attacks with my long sword at this person right here. After we see L summon her weapon and uh, curse this individual, he's still stumbling forward off balance from his ridiculous attack. And as he still sort of stumbles forward, Red, you have the combat expertise to sort of use his momentum against him and essentially just hold out your long sword. Uh, you turn it more into a thrust and you definitely catch him and do some damage to him. And then he's actually able to move out of the way of a second attack that comes from your second blade uh, as he resettles himself, takes up his uh, great axe and swings at you yet again. Mm -hmm. This time it's even worse. Uh, he seems like he hasn't been swinging an axe for a lot of his life. It seems appropriate in his hands due to his size. He just seems clumsy uh, and he misses you sort of barely hanging on to the great axe as he misses. Uh, and you're actually going to get an attack of opportunity on him as he stumbles and he exposes his back to you. This man is not a fighter. He is just sort of enraged. Absolutely. Do we both get one or is it just me because I'm in combat? I will go ahead and say that L, if you have something that is a ranged attack that you can use at this point, uh, you can use it as your attack of opportunity. Sure, I will um, attack him with Eldridge Blast. Ooh, um, nice stuff. Yeah, uh, so I think the way that this kind of works since I'm holding a shield and a sword, I think it just comes out of my shield. Mm. Like okay. a gigantic bolt. You, you that do that 300 out. like forward phalanx push <laughs> yeah. and it just sonic booms him. So red. Before you take your attack of opportunity, you see this opening, and as soon as it exposes itself, you see uh, this blast just leap from L and strike this person. You can't see the threads that have been woven to create this attack, but what you do see is essentially some form of uh, dark magic that has just erupted forward, struck this man, and done severe damage to him. In fact, you can hear his ribs break as it makes contact, and it maintains connection. It's almost as if there's this bridge of dark light connecting the shield to the man, and you realize that she's holding this and she can actually do this again as long as that bridge remains. Uh, and it is now your attack of opportunity. Sure. Flavorfully, I'm gonna try to move this into my actual attack here, but I'm going to just sidestep him into a better position and bring one of my arms across him as I do so. All right, so you slash him essentially on the front that has been exposed. The back was struck by this Eldritch Blast, and as he sort of lurches forward from the impact, you bring your sword right across his ribs that you have just heard break on the backside. Uh, you slash him, he puts his hand over uh, his stomach, and it's almost as if he's trying to uh, keep his innards inside. Uh, he is now wielding this great axe with a single hand as he uses his other hand to uh, basically hold together his body. Uh, so that was his turn. <laughs> it now goes to L. As a free action, I like to just say something. Like she kind of takes a step forward and says, hey, we aren't here to kill you or hurt you. We just wanted to know what was going on and why you seem to have somebody in that sack. She has to die. And you have to die. Uh, uh, why? He just screams in anger. Uh, so I would like to cast, if it is okay with you, a uh, second level enchantment called Suggestion. I think that's okay with me. Hang on, let me check. Yep, says you can do whatever the fuck you want. 
so I'm uh, so basically I'm gonna try and cast this, and he needs to make a wisdom check, uh, DC fourteen. Okay. Wisdom is not his strong suit, but in this moment, he is not susceptible to your suggestion. Perhaps yeah. it is the blinding rage of hate and malice that you see pouring from him. Uh, but he is just sort of closed off to any sort of suggestion that you have attempted in this turn. All right. Well, she basically says something like, why don't you uh, collect yourself and walk yourself back home? It's like you can see like your suggestion sort of like drape over him. And you've seen this happen before as you use the power to sort of try and get people to do what you want. Uh, and as this drapes over him, you can just sort of see him just shake it off. And it's not something that you would expect from someone of his size. Uh, assuming that his intellect would be low, um, but it just doesn't even seem to come from a place of a strong will. It seems to genuinely come from whatever is driving him to try and kill this human being is stronger than your suggestion. That's my turn. Okay, um, since we seem to be trying to have a conversation with it, I'm going to place my body in between L and this figure and just kind of reiterate the fact of like, yeah, don't want to fight and just ready action to kind of like give it the opportunity to be like, no, let's talk and we can go ahead and do it. If he does lunge forward, my action will be to then attack. Okay. Uh, So as you sidestep and you make it very clear that you're trying to disengage from combat and have some sort of dialogue to figure out just what the hell is going on, he sees what you're doing. He's looking with murderous intent at L now. He's looking at you in a different way. And as he sort of shakes off this suggestion of just walk home, he sort of takes a step back as you take a step left and you just hear him whispering to himself, I have to do this. I have to do this. And he turns from you, exposing his back, and he charges with the great axe raised in the sky as if he intends to bring it down on the burlap sack as hard as he can. Because you're in an action, you can do whatever you want. Well, shit, I don't know what to do now. (laughs) I'm curious as to... Who or what is in that sack, I'm going to move to put him down. He starts to charge away from you, and in those steps, you can close enough distance where you can strike at him before he reaches the sack. Okay. Um, here they both come. Oh. <laughs> I probably only need one. Uh, that is a crit. So 20 plus 5. That does hit. So the way we handle crits in any game that I run is you get max damage on your first damage dice. Mm -hmm. So are you rolling a D8? Yep. So you get a D8, and then you roll another D8 and add that to it, plus your damage modifier. Because there's nothing worse than getting a crit and rolling two ones and being like, fuck this game. (laughs) Okay, so that is a 17 (laughs) for the first hit. Um, You will not need a second. Okay. So you have both of your swords ready. And uh, I haven't studied up enough of the poses to tell you exactly which stance you're in. Oh, it's uh, not Heron opening the wind. The- <laughs> <laughs> Heron opening the door. <laughs> Rabbit shuffles through his CD wallet. Yeah. So <laughs> you step forward with one foot, and as he turns to run, just the amount of time it takes to spin his body around and lurch forward, you sort of just bring both swords forward in a thrusting motion, and they both erupt from his chest. And uh, you notice something very startling, and that's even though uh, he is essentially done for as life leaks from his body and you see the forest floor becoming stained, it seems like he's still trying to muster any bit of strength he has to bring this axe down 
on the sack until he just collapses. He's about 10 feet from where this sack is, and you can see it's still writhing and it's still making noise, but you really just can't make out any words that are coming from it. But he is officially dead. I was wondering what would break first, your spirit or your body? <laughs> Has L ever killed somebody? That is up to you. I don't think so. so this is the just... first time that you've... It, okay, this is different. It's not, has Al ever killed someone? This question is, has Al ever seen someone die? Uh, I think she probably has seen someone die, but I don't think she's ever contributed to the death of somebody. Like, she's sparred, she's used her magic, but it's all, you know, like, with other, like, you know, people who are hoping to become Ace Sedai. Right. Intruder Red's form so far, he just kind of... You know, he, on the other hand, has not only seen people die, he has contributed to people's deaths in the past. So he's going to, you know, more or less walk over to the figure that we just put down and clean the blades off on the back of the body, put him away, and then just, like, kick it over and do a little bit of inspection. This isn't the classic D&D looting. This is just the slightly investigating who our foe was. Right. Uh, as you go through uh, what's on him, you realize he's he's basically wearing rags. He's not wearing, like, night clothes, but he's wearing what essentially amounts to work clothes for a farmer. It doesn't seem like he prepared for any of this, aside from the fact that he's carrying with him a chain. And you're not exactly sure what it's for. Uh, he only had the great axe that was strapped to his back and the sack that was with him. As you wipe off the blood um, and sort of just return your swords to their sheaths, you just sort of notice this look in his eyes of terrible purpose. You've seen people die before, and you've seen different looks on people's faces, like anguish or sadness, and this is the first time it looks like this corpse is still trying to do something. Uh, it's almost as if he had a mission, so. Hey, hey, L, can you come over here for a second? L approaches very slowly, and you kind of see her, like, that sword that came out of her hand, like, go, it almost looks like it kind of goes right back into her hand as she kind of lets go of that magic. As that happens as well, this connection that you had with him, this Hexblade curse that you've placed on people before, it ebbs away in a way that's not happened before. Typically, you've dismissed it. Uh, in this case, something happens where the connection is severed because the host is gone, and you've never felt it disappear in that way, and it makes a very profound impact on you that that way it's been dispelled is completely different from how you felt it disappear before. Is he dead? Yep, he's gone. Um, I'm assuming this is probably your first, uh, one of your first times that you've done this or been a part of this. I think Elle, like, thinks about lying and is just like, uh, well, I don't, no, I, I don't kill people very often. I mean, I don't either, but, I mean, time and place and with age, there's, some people's timelines have to go to, for years. <laughs> when in Rome. Yeah. <laughs> I pointed his face to his eyes. And like, kind of move around a little bit. It's like, he's not here anymore. But does he look like he's still trying to be here? Can I roll a perception check or something? Sure. 14. With a 14 uh, and your relative inexperience, you're not quite sure what a face of death, so to speak, looks like. But this is absolutely not what you ever would have imagined. Uh, this person basically looks like they didn't realize they died. Their body just sort of expired. It is strange to me that he was so hell-bent on doing whatever it was he was doing. I don't really associate that with farmers and he certainly looks like a farmer mm -hmm. this chain uh, does that look out of place 
Um, is it like a pocket watch chain or is it like a, a chain no. that you, you haul up an anchor from a boat with? It's like a chain you would haul up an anchor for a boat with. In fact, um, go ahead and both of you roll an investigation. Mm-hmm. One. <laughs> Nineteen. All right. I, I, it's really fun, though, because these rolls actually fit the narrative they, quite yeah. well. So, Al, uh, you see this chain, and it's just not making sort of any sense to you. I think you're still sort of processing the fact that this person has died. Um, but Red, being sort of the veteran that you are, you realize that this is out of place and you've sort of already moved on past the fact that you had to do this. Um, and as you sort of look up to the fact that you had to do this because you're protecting this unknown, uh, whatever it is in that sack, um, the same kind of chain is wrapped around that sack. And you notice that one of the links has been uh, left open on both sides and directly next to where this burlap sack has fallen, there is a giant boulder that has a chain wrapped around it. Uh, and it certainly appears as if this person was going to attach this chain uh, around this boulder and to this person before they threw them off the edge into the river. Oh, I see. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll just walk over to the burlap sack now and uh, on the way over just say, Hey there, calm down. We're coming. And mm. yeah. Mm. Okay. I, I, I kind of, you know, try to make heads and tails. <laughs> Literal. <laughs> I think maybe this is where it came from. I try to make heads or tails of where the heads or the butt is and kind of prop it up sitting into a thing and wait for L to come on by. So the closer you get, the both of you start to realize that there is most certainly one end is feet and the other end is a head and this uh, individual has been bound uh, around their chest with their arms across their chest to prevent them from moving as much as possible. So I'm going to wait for L to get there before I do anything. And I'm like, I have my hand on like this thing's back, propping it up. And then uh, I'm ready to pull down the lip of the sack whenever she's like good and ready. Yeah, let's see who he was trying to kill. Mm -hmm. Are you doing okay, kid? I think like in the in probably the fading light, you can see that L looks like a little green. Perfect. And I'm going <laughs> to. That's out of character. I'm, I'm assuming. Gonna, Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Say it again. <laughs> Gross. Uh, right. she, she will pull out a dagger, though, just in case. Okay. Like, this is like a dangerous person okay. in the sack. So, yeah, Red's going to kind of be like, yeah, this is tough shit. We're going to have to deal with this. And we, he pulls down the head of the sack. All right. So there's this knot that's been tied. You make quick work of it. You guys both get ready. You pull down the top of the sack around down to the neck area of this person. And uh, underneath, it reveals what appears to be a very young girl, probably just into her teens, if that. Uh, and she's not bound or gagged on her mouth or anything like that. But she does not appear as if she's able to speak. And she has tears falling down the sides of her eyes. And she seems so genuinely confused. She can barely move her head around it. It's almost as if someone who's barely out of sleep paralysis that's just regaining parts of their body. And when she looks over and she sees this gentleman that's laying on the ground with his essential guts spilled everywhere, this wave of relief just washes over her. And it's kind of surprising to see that she's not crying over this person being dead, but she just seems to feel like she's safe from everything you can tell. This is something I wanted to mention, is that there are certain things within the Wheel of Time universe that translate really well to Dungeons and Dragons. One of the things that doesn't translate, but I think we can do well, is delving. Uh, delving is something that Aes Sedai or people who can wield the power can do to check the condition of someone. 
Uh, it's something that healers tend to do. I think this is something that anyone who wields the power can do with the difference of how well you do it. And we'll use medicine check for that. Mm -hmm. So anyone Perfect. who wants to delve to see what's going on with her, feel free to use a medicine check. I think seeing this young girl kind of like snaps Elle out of it a little bit. Um, and she comes over and she like says like, I, I think you can take her out of the sack. She's bound pretty tight. Um, but from what you, you can do now that you have control, you can probably pull her out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would like to delve. Okay. All right. You notice a few things. One is that she is basically physically unharmed. Uh, you can't tell anything that actually needs some sort of healing or mending on her body. Uh, but another thing that you can tell, and uh, this is something that I'm just sort of tossing in here. Um, there is a certain resonance that you get when you delve someone who can also channel. And when you delve her, you realize that you're fairly certain this young girl uh, can wield the one power. And you're not exactly sure why she has not done that, but based off of her paralysis, it seems that she has been in some way, shape, or form dosed with something that is blocking her from reaching out and touching the source. You, in your time, have not heard of this. That is just for Elle. Uh, she'll, she'll kind of, like, try and um, kind of, like, console this girl and just, like, hey, we're here to help you. You're safe. You don't have to worry about him anymore. What's your name? She mumbles, just... But she, she really can't speak. Um, I think Elle turns to Red and says, she... There's something wrong with her, but... I think we need to take her with us. Red, um, does Red know, does, does this look familiar to Red at all? You've seen this happen a couple of times. This works on men as well as women. Mm -hmm. This girl has been dosed with fork root. Uh, fork root for normal people can paralyze them. And for channelers, uh, fork root will block them from the source. And depending on how much is given, it can completely paralyze a person. Sure. Uh, so Red um, responds to Al with, I'm no wisdom or anything like that, but this looks to be like this young lady was um, was given something to probably block her usage. She's probably able to channel if she's in this state, but it looks like she's been given the common fork route to probably stop her from channeling. Uh, I think we need to get her back up to Hannah pretty quick. I, I, I agree. I, I can sense that she can channel the power, but something's blocking it. I mm -hmm. I'm going to kneel down closer to uh, this young lady's body, hands open, trying to not be a proxy to her captor, and say, can you walk? She shakes her head, no. Okay. I'm going to take her gently under her arm and pull her up to a standing position. Just for funsies, let's roll a strength check. Oh shit. She's 400 pounds. <laughs> She's actually made of dark matter, so she's the heaviest person on the planet. So what do you, what am I, I'm just rolling a strength check, period. Uh, yeah, let's, let's just say 10. You're trying to beat 10 to make sure you get her up. Uh, does 19 beat 10? <laughs> you are shocked at how easily you pick her up and toss I her. I throw her to the moon. <laughs> you accidentally throw her in the river, and you're so strong <laughs> that she bumps into that giant boulder, and it just latches onto her, and mm -hmm. she's gone forever. So I had storyline written for if you guys watched to the point where she was thrown into the river. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, I, I know you have your own choose your fate novel here. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm, I'm going to do this as gently as Red can, which is probably south of 10. <laughs> but uh, he'll gently pull her up and try to coax her into walking. And if she doesn't, he's going to firemen's carry her 
uh, back she, to. She starts to try and make an effort, and you can see she's basically like shifting her hips forward and her feet and legs just sort of dragging in the dirt mm-hmm. every time she tries and just kicking up leaves. Um, and she starts to stumble forward as if she's going to fall. And in that moment, that's when you just sort of yeah. uh, pick her up because you realize, like, this is a no-go. You're going to have to carry her. Yeah, he doesn't have time for this shit. So he's going to go ahead and just sling her, not indelicately, over his shoulder and, you know, kind of look over to L like, let's go. L, are you going to lead the way or are you going to follow behind so that she can make eye contact with you? I'm going to follow behind and I'm going to talk to her the whole way. So as you start departing the forest and heading back to Hannah's place, um, as soon as you start to make your way back, she (laughs) seems to summon up whatever will she has to control her body and she spits on the body of this gentleman as you uh, move your way back to Hannah's house. The journey is not treacherous. You you kind of know where you're going. There's not a whole lot of routes that are going to trip you up. It does take uh, quite a bit longer to get there than it did uh, as you sort of charged into the woods, as you now know heroically. Uh, And sort of when you make your way back to the house, you see that uh, Hannah is on the back porch, which is significantly smaller than the front porch, just sort of watching and and waiting for you all to emerge from the woods. Uh, And when she sees that you're carrying a young girl, she sort of just rushes over there uh, with a quickness that you would not expect from someone her age. Uh, And she immediately notices uh, who this girl is and she yells, Darren! Uh, and she runs to this girl's side and she says, Darren, are you okay? Oh my God, what happened? And she looks at both of you. She has a very serious look on her face that you had not seen from her. She's sort of just been gentle uh, with you both in the past, but she's demanding answers. She doesn't look like she's blaming you, but she wants to know what's going on. campaign Age of Legends Downfall is played by Faye Kai, Garrett Schultz, and DM'd by Adam Diaz. For more information about us, Twats of Twats, or other awesome work we do that is unrelated to The Wheel of Time, head to the Wheel of Time show about the Wheel of Time show.com for bios and our social media handles. Pound cake is named because the original recipe required a pound of each butter, flour, sugar, and eggs. It's a lot of cake. <laughs>